You know, for weeks uh, we've been talking about why we sing in the church. We have talked about what we sing, where we sing. And this morning I would like to speak a little bit about how we sing. And I'm going to talk about that next week as well. We're going to focus on that. And by that, I don't mean do we sing quietly or do we sing in tune or if we sing harmony or what instruments we use or if we should clap or try to clap in our case. I mean the fact that when we gather here together, we do something that we really can't do separately. You can't sing together separately. And what does that do to us when we do that together. Here's what I want to say this morning. Something happens to us when believers get together in a group and sing together. When we sing together, we're united and we're better prepared as God's people, ready to do his will. And I want to look at God's word today to help us see that. And I just want to keep, I'm telling you, I, I see it and I hear it as I go around. Something's happening to our singing here. Have you noticed that? I'm just noticing that. Keep watching for it. If you're saying, nah, and you're skeptical of that, then change it. To help us frame this today, I want to try something together, all right? So it'll take having a person near you who you will speak to and listen to just for a moment, all right? And I want to give you a question to think about, actually, too. I don't want you to give the right answer. I want you to just give the honest answer to this other person you speak to, all right? Here is the question. Make it a moment of honesty. The question is, when we come here to sing together, what is your greatest hope for that time that we sing together on Sunday morning? What are you searching for when we sing together? What are you hoping for? And I'm going to go ahead and answer that for you. The answer is to give glory and honor to God. Amen? All right, so I already answered it for you. That's the first answer. That's, I hope, your first and greatest hope. So you don't have to say that one. I already said it for you. And if you don't feel that way, you can just say nothing about it and go on like nothing happened, okay? So really what I would like everyone to do, just in a moment here, is a little more challenging, and that is this. What is your second greatest hope? After that greatest hope, What's on your mind? What do you hope for? What are you searching for when we sing together? For the time we sing together, don't just say what you think is the right answer that someone should hear. Say what you really think and hope will happen on Sunday morning after God being honored and praised by our singing. If you're online this morning joining us, you, tap, you can type that in, all right? Here it is. This is the moment. Please take a moment. Uh, if somebody needs someone to speak to them, get close to them, take just a moment and do that. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds here. All right, go ahead and do that. What is your second greatest hope for the time that we sing together on Sunday morning when we come here? Okay, 
That's time, probably, to share an answer to that back and forth. Let me get a show of hands here. How many of you said or heard something like, I hope that the people around me are blessed, or I hope there aren't any distractions so that it goes well? How many of you had something like that, all right? Again, it's not asking for a right answer, but there were a few who said that. Sometimes, you know what, that's what I would want to answer. That's the second most important thing that I'm hoping for when we enter into a time of singing together on Sunday morning. I just wanted that in your head as we talk about what happens when we're singing together here on Sunday morning. You know, we're pursuing Thrive, Tapping Heaven's Resources to Ignite Vital Expansion. We're pursuing that for these three years. Uh, that is, we're reaching. We're reaching for the lost. We're reaching for Jesus. We are reaching for the next generation. And from what I read, one thing that the next generation says that it's really craving is community. This word community. It's what they say they want. Ironically, we are more connected than ever before in our world and we're lonelier than ever before. It's like a lonely outsider in a crowded school cafeteria. We are surrounded by connections of all kinds with people of all sorts and it seems like we have less real depth of connection with people than ever before. Another show of hands. Yeah, audience participation. How many of you have a cell phone? How many of you have a cell phone? Could have asked that 20 years ago. It'd be like a couple. But just about everybody has a cell phone. Did you know you can talk to someone else on a cell phone. You can actually call them and say hello and talk back and forth on a cell phone. But one of the things that I have heard the people of the, quote, older generation saying about people of the, quote, younger generation is that they don't ever talk on their phone. Have you heard that? I've been hearing that lately. I call and they never pick up or I leave a voicemail and they never answer it. So how are these people who also carry a phone around supposed to be reached? How are you supposed to talk to them? Text them, right? Text them, what? Or send them a Facebook message or something like that. There's just a different way to do it now. Despite technology or Maybe because of technology, these gaps have formed between us. We move as people into niches, and we don't communicate with other people, especially people who are different than us, people who have a different old political view or who are in a different age group, who have different perspectives. It might not be intentional, but it's real. Gaps form between us. One of the things that we do when we sing together is we form community. When the church sings together, it is a statement about our oneness in Jesus Christ. It shows what community looks like and partly how it works. Since 1956, Rockford has been home to a drum and bugle corps called Phantom Regiment. Yeah, you all are familiar with that. It is really amazing to watch a group of a couple hundred people with a lot of discipline and talent like that, especially if you've ever been someone who competed in field marching shows. It takes a lot of work to do what they do. And one of the things that every 
drum and bugle corps has is a drum major. That is that usually very flashy looking person standing up on a podium in front of all of them waving his or her arms for the whole performance. And that drum major, that person, has to be there. It's the only hope there is for some 200 people on a field to look like they're doing something together. You know, that's why there are people up here each week as we're singing together to help us do that thing that we call singing together, like a director, so that the real audience, God, will hear something good. A few years ago in our family, we started a, a birthday tradition. It came about because you can now do conference calls on your cell phone. You can tie a whole bunch of phone calls into one. And we decided that everybody in our family, parents, kids, grandkids, who has a birthday is going to get a singing tube. So we preset a time, every one of them, on their birthday. We set up a time, can you call? Yeah. And we get everybody called in on a conference call. And we proceed as a family to sing happy birthday to you. Now, I got to tell you, we laugh the whole time because there's a time delay when you do a conference call and it sounds terrible. And then we act goofy just to make sure it sounds terrible. And we have a lot of fun with that. And it tends to sound pretty bad, enough to drive the rats from the building, but it's a lot of fun. And singing is something, if it's going to sound good, that has to be done together. Unlike a conference call with a four-way sound delay. You know, you may or may not like drums. But the fact is that drums or bass or other percussion-type instruments help us sing together. Have you ever noticed that? Some people call it the heartbeat of the music. Most of the planning that is poured into our singing together isn't an attempt to sound trendy. It's an attempt to do a good job. Our singing together here has got the potential to help us be a community. And that's one thing that singing together does. It unites us. It unites us in a very tangible way that's different from other things. All right. I'd like to look at a couple places in Scripture today, especially in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. So if you'd open up your Bibles, please, to Ephesians. We're going to look at some verses there together. The first half of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, tell us some good doctrine, some good teaching about our standing in Christ, about how God has blessed us, about what we used to be but what we are, and how God has made multiple people into one group. That's his desire. And then in the second half of this letter, there are just some very practical ways that that is lived out. What does that look like when it is lived out? So I want to start there in chapter 4. And I'd like you, as we read through this, I want to just point out and have you note the number of times that Paul directs our thinking to the way that we are supposed to be united United because we belong to Jesus. Okay? I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity or oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Drop down to verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Do you see all of the language there that Paul is using to talk about how we, different members of the body of Christ, are how many bodies? One body growing together and that is God's intention for his people before any of us decided to act like it Jesus prayed that his followers would be one unity oneness is what Jesus prayed for just before his arrest and crucifixion after the church split to the east and west in the year 1054, and then up to the time of the Protestant Reformation of about the mid-1500s, worship in the church wasn't a very united thing. People became observers who watched as professionals in the front performed it. Even church architecture changed. Pews were developed, and it limited people's interaction with one another. The medieval church wasn't doing church together really well. The role that singing of the church had in those centuries isn't very clear, but it is clear that worship wasn't fully being done with a great appreciation for our oneness in Christ. I am saying here that our times of worship together ought to be a reaffirmation of our unity, our oneness in Jesus. You can amen that if you like it. Christ-centered church families are filled with people who make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Jesus didn't die so that each one of us could be a solo act in our relationship with him. We don't get together here each week just to serve my personal pursuit of God. 
from the very beginning of the church, as soon as there was a regular time that the church came together, followers of Jesus gathered together on the first day of the week, each week. About 25 years ago in the United States, a person was considered an active church attender. This is people that do statistical studies. An active church attender was somebody who was there in worship together with everybody six out of eight weeks. Six out of eight, so three a month or so. And that figure since then has been cut in about half. So the new norm for what is considered regular church attendance is three out of eight weeks. That's one and a half Sundays a month. I don't know how you come a half of a Sunday, but one and a half Sundays a month. Somebody might say, yeah, but I'm growing. I'm, I'm there. Getting together isn't what it's all about, and that's true, but your individual growth isn't what it's all about either. Think that through. I want to encourage that us being together on a regular basis is important. If church is individualistic and it's there just to serve my individual pursuit of God, then it makes sense that gathering weekly, W-E-E-K-L-Y, would be changed to gathering weekly, W-E-A-K-L-Y. <clears throat> but when I come here on Sunday morning, it's not all about me. It's about the Lord, first of all. And then it's about his church, which he bought with his own blood. I'm here because the Lord's church is here today. I'm here because we're supposed to spur one another on to love and good deeds. I'm not here to be a consumer. I'm here to serve the whole. I'm here to share the Lord's supper with regard for the Lord's body, that is, his church. I'm here to work on the 67 one another commands of the New Testament, the commands that can be filled only if I get some kind of regular contact with the others. And guess what? Our singing together is a demonstration of that. It's a simple demonstration of that. Let me encourage you, as you sing, when we sing together, as you sing, look around you. This is your family. You are not an only child. And the souls who are gathered around you and singing with you, as well as those who are doing the same worldwide, are the only thing of this creation that is going to last forever. Singing together reminds us we're not alone in this. We're not self-sufficient. We share the presence of God's Holy Spirit. Not one of us is the center of the universe. So by its very nature, singing helps us in this important oneness that Jesus prayed for. Here's something else it does. It prepares us. Every time you sing here, you are expressing something about what kind of church you want to be and what kind of a church you want to be a part of. What does that look like? What does that sound like? More importantly, what does that think like? Martin Luther had a great regard for God's word, and he also understood the impact that music has on the church. Did you know that Martin Luther wrote 36 hymns, few of which are still sung today. If you've ever sung, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, in English, not German. 
you were still singing a Martin Luther song. He said this once, Music is a gift and grace of God, not an invention of men. Thus, it drives out the devil and makes people cheerful. The devil, the originator of sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles, flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. The church is called to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We're not a group of people who gather together and then slink back in a corner to lick our wounds. We are living stones who are being built into a spiritual house. We are a city set on a hill. We are stars shining in a dark world. We are people filled with God's Holy Spirit, serving a Savior who is building a kingdom over which he will reign forever. And when we sing, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have not received a slavery, a, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And so our battle cry is a shout that says, Central Christian Church, hope lives here. And it invites a disillusioned world to find life in Jesus. Yeah, that happens when we sing. First, one of the first things, or a lot of the first things that I learned about boats and ships and sailing and the sea as a kid, I learned from hymns at church. Anyone else have that experience? I'd ask my mom when we're singing hymns, Mom, what's a portal? Why do the billows roll and tides lift and cables strain? Why should we let the lower lights be burning? Mom, what's a lifeline, a shoal, a tempest, a tumult, a haven? Why do we anchor in Jesus? Think about that. Seems like a lot of songs were written by people who must have lived on the coast. And I also noticed this, that there were several songs that were about conflict, armies, enemies, Marching, battles, weapons, victory, courage, vanquishing. Where did all that come from? Well, a lot of those thoughts came from Scripture. If you read it, there's a lot about warring and conflict in the Scriptures. And if you've been reading through the Psalms these past weeks, you've seen it there, haven't you? That book of songs in the middle of the Bible includes a lot of language about struggling and warring. Is that a surprise? Who wrote about half of those psalms that we know of? David. David, the king of Israel, who when he was a shepherd said he had killed a lion, that he had killed a bear, who sometime shortly after that killed a really big guy named Goliath. David, who when he came back from his warring, the people sang a song. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. When David came to build a temple for God, he came to that conviction. God told him he was too much a man of war and blood. First Chronicles 28. So his son would do the building, not David. David was too much a warrior. So it's not a surprise to me when we read the Psalms that the struggles speak about things that are very warlike sometimes. How the Lord is our help. 
Every morning, with very few exceptions, <clears throat> I wake up greeted by a large furry face breathing at me and a tongue hanging out. That would be the dog. Whose purpose in life at that moment is to go for a long walk. And I got to tell you, I don't speak much when I get up. Until a few minutes later, once I'm dressed, as we step out into the darkness of the street. And my first coherent words of the day, every day, are Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, I shall not fear. Though war arise against me, my heart shall be confident. There are many others. Psalm 18, if you could read Psalm 18, if we had time this morning, talks about the conflict and it pictures God coming down from heaven to deal with the enemy. Smoke, fire, glowing coals, thick darkness, flying on the wind, hailstones, coals of fire, thunder, arrows, lightning from the blast of his breath. I'm glad I'm not on the receiving end of all that. Psalm 35, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Psalm 37 says to wait for the Lord, keep his way. He'll exalt you to inherit the land you'll look on with the wicked are cut off. Psalm 55, speaking of his enemies, you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Psalm 138, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Look at Psalm 144. It starts out, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Brothers and sisters, wanted or not, we have been engaged by an enemy ever since Genesis chapter 3. And that enemy hasn't been put down completely yet. It is good for us to sing the Bible's songs of victory over the devil. Have you ever noticed, when we are singing together, something about Jesus rising from the grave is worked into the song and suddenly the volume of our singing goes up? Have you noticed how singing about the way that he's going to make all things new one day gives a lift to our voices? It's good for us to sing songs to each other about God's power, about his promises to be with us and to help us. That does something. It's also in the book of Ephesians, if you'll go back there to chapter 6, where Paul talks about being equipped for spiritual conflict. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. And Paul goes in details, putting on the armor of God and being a warrior for him. On more than one occasion, when I've been driving or walking to some situation I'm easy, uneasy about confronting, sometimes songs will roll around in my head. 
songs that have caused courage and confidence to well up inside of my chest when I sang them with my church family. And now they resound inside of me to help me for whatever God has for me to face. When we sing together, that experience of singing together helps prepare us for the conflict. It also helps prepare us for forever. I know I keep saying this, but one of the features of heaven described in Revelation is singing. It's there. And think about this. The songs that we sing in heaven, um, twice it says they sang a new song. The songs that we sing in heaven are going to be different songs. You know why? Because there won't be faith in heaven. Because there won't be hope in heaven. But there will be love and there will be joy and there will be every reason that we can think of right now to praise God and 10,000 times those reasons. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. <laughs> Are we singing like we're getting ready for that? So much of what we do right now, so much of what we are doing in this life in Jesus now is a preview of what we expect to do forever, isn't it? So in Ephesians 5, verse 18, it tells us to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we sing together, we're united and we're better prepared as God's people, ready to do his will. Premarital counseling, something that I always do with a couple before I will marry them is spend some hours in premarital counseling. And as I get them together for that, I'll ask this engaged couple right at the front, how long do you plan to stay married? How long? And they'll kind of chuckle and look at each other, and then they'll say, well, a really long time, long as we live. And so I say to them, that's the right answer. That's good. So it makes sense, doesn't it, to take six hours or so and get ready for that very long time. Are you getting ready for heaven? How long do you want to live in heaven? How long do you want to stay there? So it makes sense, doesn't it, to take some time and take some effort preparing for that. Are you ready? Are you ready? This morning, if you're ready that, yeah, I get to go there, that's great. How are you preparing yourself for that great welcome that you're going to receive? Or maybe today you're saying, nope, I'm not ready. In fact, I'm not sure about this. What do I need to do? And God's word is really clear on that. You need to be ready. You need to be ready for when he comes or when you go to him to face him. And you can be. So if you haven't made that decision, we want to encourage you to make that today. We want to invite you to make the choice to make Jesus Lord of your life. He has prepared the way for you. His desire is for you to be part of that great welcome. And we want to help you be ready. So this morning, if you're looking to begin a relationship with Jesus, 
If you're online and want to do that, would you please type in, hey, contact me, or go ahead and contact us at cccrockford.org slash connect. Get in touch with us. Here in just a moment, we're going to stand up together. We're going to sing a song together. Something's going to happen when we sing together, isn't it? And when we do that, that's a great time for you to step down here to the front and, and let's just talk. Let's begin a conversation about your relationship with the Lord and how you today can become a follower of Christ. Let's stand up, please, and let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for words from your word that help us to take a, a perspective that you want us to see about what happens when we sing together. You have told us so much, Lord, for us to give attention to and to uh, apply. And so I pray today that you'll help us to walk from here with a determination uh, just to put these things into play in our lives. And Father, I pray today that every one of us will be ready, that we'll be preparing ourselves, that we will be holy, that we will purify ourselves just as you are pure that we'll be ready for your return. God, we're conscious that there are some who are not, and I just pray today that in some way your word will do its work, that it will hit the mark, that it will effect a change and bring about someone stepping forward to say, this is it, I want to become a follower of Jesus too. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us the body of Christ. Thank you for letting us be part of this group of people who love you and serve you together. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.